it's that time of the year, isn't it? It's that time of the year for our Christmas Christmassy episodes. And uh, you know, uh, you know, before we, you know, because we got a spotlight, we're gonna do a spotlight in a couple weeks. But before that, like any uh, kid, you know, kid who loves his movies, we have to make our Christmas lists. And ours is a little bit more, uh, you know, a little bit more uh, fantasy oriented uh, in this episode. But as usual, hi, I'm Stephen Billings. I'm Andrew Cabral. And we're here for another episode of the Cinema Discovery Project uh, Christmas Edition, uh, whatever yes, you want to call is. it. But Holiday, Christmas. Oh, no, Hanukkah, it's Christmas. We're in America, goddammit. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to be PC about uh, being inclusive. That. Stephen fuck, doesn't give I'm a so, shit. I don't give a shit about PC. I don't, you can kiss my ass. Um, so, wow. uh, look, I, 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 I respect all religions, but look, doesn't mean I have to, like, uh, coddle everybody, you know, like you can believe what you believe. I believe what we believe, and let's leave it at that. I I respect everybody, but I doesn't mean I should have to cover up things I believe. All right, it's interesting that you bring all that up because it has nothing to do with this. It does. It doesn't. At no, all. it doesn't. This is about uh, wonderment. This this episode's going to be about wonderment, about things that we film. This is our quote unquote Christmas list um, for the right. future of film. Um, uh, you know, who, who, what director, what film, filmmakers, actors do we want to see make movies? And we're going to have a little bit of fun here. Get a little creative. See, that's the way Steven went with this list. Yeah. And I almost treated it like a, uh, uh, you know, rock and roll fantasy, that song by the Steve Miller band. Yes. yes. I kind of treated it like that. It's all just like <laughs> of the rock and roll fantasy. Yeah. I know the song. Right. But ex- in, instead of rock and roll fantasy, it's like movie fantasy. Like what? What I what what I have, uh, a film I would have wanted to see, or it's like a fantasy dream film that I don't know would have ever happened. Probably would have never happened. Definitely never happened. Yeah. Then I got two that perhaps will never happen, but are more likely to happen. That makes sense. And Stephen's got a whole lot more than I have to say. I, I, about I just it. I decided to try to think of. I, I tried to stay away from IP. I tried to stay away from right. things that are like exist already in a sense as popular part of the popular culture, and in and, and try to pick more you know nuancey kind of things, and right. just try to pick filmmakers I thought would be interesting in them genres or whatever. And but and then we also both have picked retro picks, which are right. you know or um, fantasy retro picks where we picked. Any kind of combination of living or or dead um, people. Yeah, mine were all yeah. uh, deceased people. I, yes, but uh, that's actually the one I spent the most time thinking of because it's I think the the idea I've had the longest. Yeah. But um, when it comes to things like this, I just like to point out that there's been many, 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 many movie projects that have been you know in the works, as they say in air quotes, and just never happened for whatever reason. And that seems to happen all of the time. Movies get announced, and then you never hear from them again. Or sometimes they like people will be like, oh, yeah, they're still happening, but in reality they're not happening. And yeah. then you get an official announcement like a month later that they're not happening. Yeah. I mean, there's been many, many examples. Some of them, just for historical context, like Stanley Kubrick, who is someone I think many of us know, many of the viewers know, the great Stanley Kubrick, my favorite director of all time. He had a Napoleon film that he was working on forever. If you know Stanley Kubrick, he spent years and years and years in between movies just doing like pre-production research about you know what he was going to do for his next movie there's an entire gigantic book of just his stuff that you can buy from Toshin where just all of his notes and pictures and concepts that he wanted to do for that movie he also wanted to do a 
uh, movie about the Holocaust. And I think we've talked about it at, when we did our spotlight on Schindler's List, yeah. how he saw Schindler's List and was like, I, I, I can't, I can't do it now because <laughs> I can't make one. I can't make one better than this. So he just didn't. He just kind of gave up on that project. But there've been other kind of weird movies that that possibly in the works. Like there was supposed to be a Roger Rabbit two. Um, there was supposed to be. Um, like a, an Amazing Spider-Man three was supposed to have the Sandman movie that's been talked about for years, uh, that has been up and down when it comes to production. That that's more than likely probably going to happen in some form, in some way. But then there's there, 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 there's crazy movies like Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian, which which <laughs> was supposedly going to happen, God but damn, I guess uh, never did. Ugh. And then you get things like Gladiator two, as if Gladiator didn't. Like already sum up everything enough. in one movie, yeah. I know. Yeah, well, apparently they're still working on some type of quasi gladiator sequel that's supposed to come out. I don't know. I I don't need a sequel to that. I know. I mean, there was supposed to be a Halo movie like ten, twelve years ago, where for uh, that was going to be produced by Spielberg or something. There was all kind of like a push for that property to become a movie, but it never happened. And I think the most we've gotten is maybe like short films or maybe like like uh like web webisodes or web series or something like that but that never happened then there's some fa- more famous ones like superman lives yeah uh which was going to be tim burton's superman movie that got pretty close to production and then it all kind of just fell apart at the end another movie was you know talking about ip that steven did not want to talk about <laughs> uh justice league immortal which was going to be um the director of mad max is uh film um, why am I blanking on his name? When I um oh uh, George Miller, George Miller. I almost said George Martin. I'm like that's not the same guy. <laughs> that's not the same guy. Yeah, um George Miller. Like that was like literally about to start production. Oh yeah, yeah. And then like and then it, the 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 financing fell apart on it. And that talk about a crazy casting. But there was gonna be um so many different things. Uh, yeah, and I mean. There was going to be a Twins 2 at one point. That still could There's going to be an Airplane 3. That still could happen. I mean, Spaceballs 2, The Search for More Money. I still want that so badly. I I kind of still want that one too, yeah. (laughs) I mean, but you get the general drift. There's been so many possible things. I also want to bring up that at one point, David Lynch almost directed Return of the Jedi. So that's a movie we're never going to see. There was all kind of like Lord of the Rings things possibly in production back in the day. Um... Yeah, so you understand that you get that kind of drift, and that's just kind of something that happens throughout history. I think it's happening more now that people just kind of, uh, you know, company studios see these IPs and just kind of grab them. Oh, yeah, they just grab them. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're going to do it. We might need this one day. Yeah, but how many times do you see, like, uh, oh, before a movie even comes out, oh, yeah, we've already greenlit five sequels or something God, like yeah, that. I hate that. And it's like, come on, that's crazy. Something like, wasn't it like Mortal Instruments or no, Immortal? No, it was Power Rangers. Power Rangers said that. Yeah. But uh, there was the movie um, Immortal Instruments, like City Mor- of Bones Mortal or whatever. En- yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Not Mortal Engines. Um, I know what you're talking about. It's the it book series, yeah. right? Didn't the they book, do a you- Didn't they do a show too? And they were going to do a show, too. I mean, years ago, uh, when they were trying to get the Dark Tower series off the ground, that's another one that finally saw the light of day, but it probably shouldn't have because it wasn't that great. Uh, Ron Howard was in production for that for years, where he was going to do, like, a movie and then do, like, a follow-up TV series as well to continue the, the story or something. It was a big, big mess. But anywho, there's a lot of movies that, you know 
could have happened, didn't happen, but these are some of ours that we kind of just came up with on the fly. Kind of, yeah. I know, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, a little behind the scenes uh, about this podcast, we literally came up with this idea like two days ago. Yeah. So we just... Yeah, so just, this isn't like greatly detailed. We're just kind of no, 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 like no, coming no. up with some fantasy ideas with some, some uh, you know, some possible things we would love to see in the future from certain filmmakers and actors. So, you know, it's... It's just something fun we figured we'd do. Like I said, kind of a, a Christmas wish list. Go with the season, um, you know. And yeah. yeah, okay. So so Stephen, start out with yours because I think you have you. Have I have a couple more than, than him. I got a couple more in yeah. mind than him. So I want to save mine for. Well, well, I think it's you do yours and then I'll do mine. We'll go back and forth. Sure. Yeah. All right. All, all right. So hit me. I, I'll hit you with one. So you know, you know, I love David Cronenberg. Um, yes. So. You know he hasn't really been doing a lot lately, and and a lot a lot of what he's been doing has been more dramatic work. Um, you know he's been doing stuff like, uh, 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 what's it called, History of Violence, which I guess you could say is somewhat, somewhat uh, horrifying. But uh, you know he did what what was the Dangerous Method. Yeah, he had that mid two thousands drama run. Yeah, where it was like History of Violence. Then, um, what was the uh, one he did with the with Vigo? The the other one he did yeah. with Vigo, Eastern Promises. Yeah. Then he did Dangerous Method. Um, he also he snuck in a few more in there where they're Cosmopo- just like these ho- Cosmopolis, Cosmopolis, which that's is it. yeah, which is um, and Map to the Stars. Maps to the Stars is just a weird movie. I don't even think it's a it's a movie that I like, but it's a movie not for everybody. But he also did a couple other ones in there that were just more. Um, more of his dramatic run. He hasn't done. I know. I think I know where Steven's leaning, so I don't want to give well, it away. Well, I, I was gonna say I, I want. I want. I want to see him go back to his horror roots. Got and it. I'd like to see him go back to his horror roots. And I don't have any specific, uh, you know, story in mind. You know, maybe something. You know, so, I always love his body horror. I love The Fly. I love so something in that vein. Uh, and I would like to see him work with Keanu Reeves. Okay. Uh, maybe like. It, and, and this just this is a random actor pick. I, I just had seen him in some a lot of movies recently. He's actually just in a show I was watching, Sterling K. Brown. I was like, oh, I love Sterling okay. K. Brown. Put him in there, and maybe like a Rooney Mara, you know, because she do, she has oh. a certain you know uh, thing about her. She's got this vibe about her. I like. I think would be good in a science fiction horror movie. Um, and you know, t- to round it out, you know, I mean. I kind of did director, uh, actors, and composers. Um, and the composer I was thinking about was maybe like a Johnny Greenwood, who's did like uh, There Will Be Blood, and you know he's worked he's uh, Phantom Thread. He's worked with uh, Paul Thomas Anderson a lot. I like his score in There Will Be Blood, where he used a lot of them, uh, you know, um, string instruments, you know, you know, really slowly, and and it was really eerie. And I thought something like that in a, in a Cronenberg small horror movie. Uh, with Keanu Reeves, Sterling, you know, like it could be pretty cool. Um, anything you, th- any thoughts on that? You got you, feel, you, feel, you feel, I like it. You feel I've, that vibe? I've been want, yeah, I've been wanting Cronenberg to go back to his horror roots for years. I think the last, you know, true horror film that he did, I'm maybe Ex- Existence was me. Existence. I've it's seen pretty the close. movie. I've seen the movie Spider. The one I haven't seen that one. Yeah. With Ray Fiennes, yeah, Ray Fiennes in it, in it is in it. Miranda Richardson, Gabriel Byrne, um, and it's more of a psychological film. Yeah, yeah, it's not quite horror. It's more psychological, like art housey ish. Yeah. So Existence maybe 
his most recent horror film, and that's and that's kind of like borderline more it's, more sci-fi than yeah, it's more sci-fi, but like you know the dangers of the futuristic dependency on technology as well as the video game world and kind of meshing those two together. That's an underrated movie in my opinion. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I just think um, I think him working with Keanu Reeves would be cool because I think Keanu Reeves has this though he's not the greatest actor in the world. He has he's a great physical actor, I think. Um, I think he has this kind of alien vibe. I mean, he's played an alien before. Um, he, you know, uh, in like the day the earth stood still or, you know, like he, he has this kind of like uh robe, this otherworldliness to him, I think. And I think he could maybe play some kind of like, you know, alien or he could play some kind of just weird character in, in, in a Cronenberg movie. Um, oh, I dig it. But yeah, that's, that's one idea I had. So to you, what you got for me? I have an idea that's um, something I've been forming for years. Um, oh, shit. And, and not forming for years, but something I've been just been thinking about myself. <laughs> He's got a script, like, guys. Like, He's going to read a script. Yeah, i got a script, but then I really don't. But if I if I had to write a script for a movie or wanted to direct a movie myself, this would be one I would kind of want to do. But obviously, you know, we're playing the fiction role. So oh, wait, so you're going to direct this in, movie? Crazy. No, I wish. I put in real people. <laughs> you have no idea how much I was like... I wanted to say that. How You're like, arrogant. You know it's going to be written and directed by me, produced by Stephen Billings. And How arrogant. Whatever, whatever. But I like where you're going. With it. <laughs> well, I was cutting you in, so I mean. Yeah, thank you. Thank I you. guess. I can't. Oh, I guess. Let me hear what it is first. Okay. Is. First of all, it's my it's my uh, like, my like gross point blank sequel. Okay that, okay. that has never happened. So for those of you who don't know what gross point blank is, gross point blank was a movie that came out in um, 1997. And it stars uh, John Cusack, Joan Cusack, Mini Drivers in it, um, like a young Jeremy Pivens in it as well. And it, it's kind of this this um, action comedy, like crime movie. Not really a crime movie, but it's action comedy mostly. And basically the premise is that um, Martin Blank was portrayed by John Cusack. He returns to like his hometown for his 10-year high school reunion. And what he's been doing for 10 years is that he's basically become, like, a hired assassin. He, I think he works for, like, the government or something. And he's just, like, he gets hired to, like, go around the world and kill people. But what happened is, like, he disappeared from, like, his, from, like, his hometown, like, the moment after he graduated. I think it was, like, very soon after. He didn't tell anybody anything. He just kind of left and went to, like, the military. And then went to, like, this program to become... Yeah, an assassin, but he ends up having to do a job that puts him back in his hometown. So he ends up going back there. He ends up like uh, reconnecting with his old friends and reconnecting with his old his old high school love, portrayed by Minnie Driver, and they have just this great chemistry together. And it's partially like an exist like a lighter existential film, like kind of just you know reminiscing on a past or a future that you didn't have because of you know you know you went and took a diff completely different route than than you thought you were going to take. And it's a really, really great, light, fun movie. Dan Aykroyd's in the film as well. And I just, I just, I've always loved it. I've watched it like over and over again. It's just such an easy watch. But it came out in 1997 and it's now 2019. You know, 2020 is literally a month away. So the movie is, what, 22, going to be 23 years old. So I figured um, this movie would probably come out you know, the 25th anniversary of when the the original film came out. So that would be 2022? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, 2022. Sorry, I can't do my math. 
And the idea is that you would get the cast back, you know, no no big surprise here. You'd get the cast back of John Cusack, Minnie Driver, Joan Cusack. Um, those would be the principals. And what I and the director for me would be somebody who I've I've been a big fan of now for about seven years or so. Uh, don't ask me how I remember all these these years and dates. Um, <laughs> and that is um, and that's someone who's not. Um, particularly a, a a film director people know of now i think she's only doing um her first i don't think i don't think it's her first film and i think it's a film that is going to be seen by more people i'm just going to look it up right now and that is uh reed morano and she's actually a cinematographer by trade typically she did a movie back in 2015 called meadowland and she's pretty much done um three episodes of the handmaid's tale but i think she's also a producer of the handmaid's tale so why um, so why her and not like the original director um one one i looked i looked up his filmography and honestly he's kind of a nobody um uh, and so he's never he, really done anything else to be honest like he did like gross point blank and then he did a bunch of movies in the 70s i don't know where they got him from <laughs> like i don't know where they got him from um if you're curious his name is george armitage and he he's still he's still around he's was born in 1942 so you have to figure he's pretty much retired yeah never mind he's his, probably going to die his last movie was the, <laughs> yeah his last his last movie that he, he only has 7 credits his last movie was the big bounce wow that came in 2004 wow yeah look at somebody he did a he did a film in 71 72 76 79 then took a big gap to 90 and then 97 and then 2004 Huh. So we're talking like a spread out directorial huh. filmography. He's got more writing credits um, when it comes to like television than he does have oh, okay. with film directing and only like four producing credits. So I just thought, I've just always thought of Reed Morano um, because when I originally saw her, uh, she was in, um, she was in that documentary side by side. Yeah. You know, that one about pretty much oh, like yeah, yeah, the history yeah. of cinematography uh, the movie, uh, it you know, um, Keanu Reeves is in it, and he just goes around like, you know, interviewing a bunch of filmmakers and cinematographers, and they just talk about the evolution of the aesthetic of cinema, essentially, you know, going back for all the way from the early, you know, eight millimeter cameras all the way up to the digital age now, and she's in it, and she's just talking about you know her love of film, and just the different aesthetics of film versus digital, and what she prefers, and all that stuff, and I've always really just liked her knowledge of film in general. She is doing a movie that is coming out this year. Um, and, no, it was supposed to come out this year, but it's coming out um, next year. And it's the movie... When did it come out? No, she did a movie last year called I, Th- I Think We're Alone. I Think We're Alone Now. came out 2018. But she's also doing... Oh, she was also doing different movie hold on oh the rhythm section yes oh yeah, yeah that's in post production now yeah uh, Blake Lively. Was, that's the one with blake lively where it looks like um yeah woman seeks revenge against those who orchestrated a plane crash that killed her family yeah yeah that, that looks interesting films. looks interesting i've seen the trailer it's supposed to come out in january which is not the best time but you never know you never january know. 31st it's supposed to come out in I really love her aesthetic, and I just kind of want to see her direct more movies. So I'm like, yeah, why not? You know what? Why not Gross Point Plank sequel? Who I, what I kind of want for the movie, when it comes to kind of plot, I've been thinking about it, thinking about it. Obviously, it's 25 years later, 
So typically in the 20, 25 years later, um, these two characters, John Cusack and Mindy Driver, uh, John, John Cusack and Mindy Driver have, uh, I like to think that they, you know, they got married and they now have a family, but I like, I, for years I was thinking, you know, what if, what if their son becomes like an assassin? But then today I'm like, why does it have to be a son? Why can't it be a daughter? And I'm like, okay, daughter assassin, who should be their daughter? And Steven, you know who this actress is, and I, and I, and I know that you're also in favor of her as well. And that is Haley Lou Richardson. Oh yeah, I yeah. was like, yeah, she was in Columbus, a film that Steven and I both really, really love. Oh yeah. And I was like, why not her? She's pretty much the right age, and she's a good. She's a great actress. Oh yeah. Why not her be their be their child? Perhaps she is doing. Perhaps she's um. You know, doing the assassination, like she's be- she became an assassin and didn't tell them, or perhaps like she's that uh, means that Cusack's not and... that good of an assassin then if he doesn't realize. Well, yeah, if he can't, if he can't tell, <laughs> but, well, perhaps he's been out of the game for so long that he's lost his skills or his instincts. Yeah. You know what I mean? Perhaps he's been out of the game for twenty years or whatever. You know, and he he can't pick up on things like he used to pick up on. I had another idea where where that. He was actually still doing the uh, the assassin missions and just not telling his wife about it. But that's something that's been done in movies. I was going to say that's a like Mr. and a Mrs. Spouse, Smith. Yeah, a spouse hiding like the, their things or whatever. It's kind of a Mr. and Mrs. Smith thing. And what is interesting that point, Gross Point Blank isn't really an action movie. Yeah, it's yeah. a movie about uh, like relationships and stuff like that. And it's a movie that has a couple of action scenes in it, but they're mostly like third act. You know. Climax, climax action scenes. I think this one would probably, perhaps, lean into the action a little bit more. For example, like I would love an opening scene that would be like opening the movie with an action scene. I know that's a little cliche, well, may, 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 yeah, but I feel like that's the way to really get people into it. Well, right maybe away. maybe the movie, being that it's you know many years later, and if they have if they ended up having a family, and maybe this is many years later and their kids are leaving. Um, for their own lives, um, maybe uh, the movie can be about rediscovering their what they were when they were young. You know, true. Yeah. You know? Oh, maybe. Um, I mean, maybe she goes along with him on. Maybe she goes along with him on missions or something like that. Um, I don't know. It's maybe it's it could. Maybe it could be almost like an Incredibles situation where he mm. gets back into the game and then she. You know, once also wants things for herself too, just like in you know the second Incredibles, wants to you know go off right. and do her own thing, and you know it could kind of be somewhat of that maybe. I was thinking, well, I I keep thinking of, I mean, this is not really a spoiler, yeah, but yeah. the ending of True Lies, where like they're now kind of like, uh, you know, Arnold was a what was he in that like a spy or something like that, and then like his wife like kind of accompanies him at the end of that movie or something like that. There was something that they were lead, definitely leaning into a yeah. sequel for when it came to, to that to that plot line, and that was something I'm surprised they have it in mind in you know the yeah. 25 yeah. years that that movie's been around. So I was so I've always wanted a Gross Point Black okay. sequel. That's kind of my thing because I think it's a film that the characters are strong enough to make a sequel, and I really don't think it has to yeah. be a high budgeted movie. I mean, we're not talking a hundred million dollars here. Oh, yeah. We're talking way under that. I mean, cut that. In, I mean, John Cusack is not the draw that he used to be. He's not probably commanding as big a you know a salary as he used to command. Um, he's still making movies though, 
but they're kind of more on the lower, like, straight-to-home, yeah. you know, straight-to-streaming type movies these days. Mini Driver, I think, has transi- transitioned more into television. She had a television sh- series. I don't know if it's still going on, but I've always I've always loved Mini Driver. I loved her in Gross Point Blank. I loved her in Goodwill Hunting, which I think they both came out in the same year. Or, yeah, because they both came out in 97, I think. And... I know. I've always wanted to see her be in more movies. I felt like she she was a bigger hmm. star back then. She's kind of like going away a little bit. Both it's kind of like it's kind of like a revival film for both John Cusack <laughs> and Minnie Driver. All right, I kind of right. like that idea. Interesting, but all right. Steven, well, your next uh, I just okay. We'll go to one of the big swings here. Uh, oh, I had I, wait before I transitioned. I did have. I actually did go as as deep okay. as having a DP for it. <laughs> I I was gonna do um, yeah Rachel Morrison, who was a DP on Black Panther. She was a DP on Mudbound. She was a I'm DP. Here. Steven? She was a DP on. Uh, I almost lost you there, and she was a DP on some other stuff too. She was actually like one of the only female cinematographers yeah. to ever get nominated for an Oscar. Which is kind of crazy. Yeah, she was a DP okay. on Dope and Fruitvale Station. All right. So yeah, so she has a great, great okay. eye for aesthetics. Oh, you know yeah. me, I love. I, love I mean, I could. I, I I thought about going uh, DPs too, but I just didn't have enough time to really. What's crazy is I think you probably went yeah. composers while I went with DPs. Because I couldn't, I couldn't think of composers off the top of my head. If it's me thinking about composers, I think of like uh, Hans Zimmer sure, for everything. Yeah. Or like, I, I guess the I guess the way I like, saw it was that like, the music. Uh, well, um, it was more different than the directing, right. you know. You know, when you think of directors, you kind of link them together with their cinematographers. So I figure, who, whoever does their usually does their movies, um, just think think about how their movies usually look. You know, I, so I just figured oh, I go. With, okay. I, I figured I, figured I go with scores. I was just more thinking of like, how would this movie sure. sound aesthetically? You know, like like something like a. You know, a horror movie like you were talking about is a different sound than like, uh, you know, a, an action no, comedy no, that I'm, I'm thinking of. You know what I mean? It's gonna be a lighter definitely. sound versus a darker All right. tone. Well, one of my bigger you? swings here, um, with one of our with one of our oh, big uh, directors, um, Christopher Nolan. I mean, I love Christopher Nolan. We you know we all love Christopher Nolan. Um, and and you know, I had to think of something that I don't feel like he's done yet. And I think eventually he's gonna get around to his biopic. It's like. All these big directors eventually mm. tell the story of uh, some some famous person or some somebody that's interesting to them, um, and there's a there's a somebody uh, that I've always wanted to see a, a an updated biopic. It's not they've never really done a biopic of him, but he did have a movie back in the forties, um, and it's for the American writer mm. Jack London. Um, Jack London's famous for wow. writing like Call of the Wild and White Fang, and his actual real life was very interesting. Um, he was a pirate, basically, like he was, a, you know, a sailor. Um, he was in the Gold Rush in California, um, you know, and of course he, you know, got into his writing. He was kind of one of the the, the writers that kind of started started getting in, getting into science fiction, that kind of pushed science fiction into. You know the literary arts, and and um, you know he he eventually died a very young age, uh, forty years old, um, of m- many illnesses. He had scurvy. You know he had he, he you know a lot of things. He a- alcoholism, a lot of things. But very interesting life. 
Um, and I've always wanted to see a real biopic of him. And, you know, you know, you could, there's a lot of great lead actors that could play him. I, I'm a big Jake Gyllenhaal fan. So maybe Jake Gyllenhaal working with Christopher mm. Nolan doing this epic, uh, you know, biopic that spans from him being a sailor to him going to China to the gold rush, you know, seeing the inspirations he has for all his eventual not, you know, novels and short stories that he would eventually write. And, and, um, there's some great, there's some great, um, autobiographies that they've written that I think there's one particular one I read a while back ago that would be kind of a great basis for maybe a movie. So, cause the way they tell the, they write the, 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 the book is, it kind of starts at the end, which is kind of what a lot of movies do with biopics and then goes back and then they mm-hmm. go, you know, forward and back and it, it would kind of work really well. And I think Christopher Nolan, um, I would like to see him do something a little smaller again, though this set can be wide in scope, something a little bit more on a personal level. I'd like to see him focus in on one character um, and, you know, do something maybe a little more sincere instead of, uh, cold and and you know science fiction he's always he's been a lot delving into a lot of science fiction in his career um which is great i mean i love his movies but uh i mean dunkirk was a nice change but still kind of a very cold movie um i'd like to see him do something a little bit warmer something a little bit more personable Mm, I like that idea. One, I didn't know that you were such a big fan of Jack London. Oh, well, you've I mean, never, I would say you never mentioned him up fan, until now. But I did read a bio, biography back in high school on him. I was really into mm. him then. It's been a while since I've looked into him, but I just was always fascinated by him and um, thought that it would make for a great film. So, what is interesting is I've never read a Jack London book because I'm only now getting around to reading classics that you always heard of but never read back in when you were younger um just because i don't know in high school and then college you kind of just i don't know my experience was you read a lot of the same books over and over again in different classes that kind of happened i can't tell you how many times i read to kill a mockingbird at least four or five times um and then you but you canterbury tales classic (laughs) oh i read that yep in, in in high school and college i read I mean, the yellow wallpaper. I think I read in high school and college. Um, uh, so many different things, like well, Beowulf. Yeah, I did in Beowulf high school lot, and college. Yeah. Um, so many, uh, but uh, coincidentally, I didn't never. I never really read um, anything by like Hemingway or Charles Dickens or any of the big like big names that you that we all seem to know and that they yeah. made movies about and all that kind of stuff. But Jack London is very fascinating to me just because he looks like he lived a very eclectic life. Yes. Um, yes. It looks like he did a lot of different things. Um, what I really find fascinating is that he was a war correspondent yeah. in 1904 in the Russo-Japanese War, which is kind of a pretty important war when it comes to when it comes to the global politics of the 20th of early 20th century. Um, for those of you who don't know the history behind that, basically. Japan had just come out of like years and years of industrializing to the point where they wanted to become a world power or at least like, you know, throw their weight around the world and whatnot. And they took on Russia in a war. They, I think they ended up beating Russia, which kind of propelled them to have, you know, bigger confidence going forward. Needless to say, later on, they ended up, you know, 
getting involved in World War II and all that kind of stuff. But you know, progressively you got to get there. You can't just yeah. can't just play with the big boys right away. You got to go from you know something to you know nothing to something because this was only like less than half a century after they got rid of that whole you know feudal Japan you know, with the samurais and stuff like that. And now they're kind of more industrializing when it comes to, like, manufacturing and all that kind of stuff. I just find that stuff fascinating. But then he was in, you know, he had a couple of marriages, and he was really just a traveling man. Um, Yeah, it's interesting that he died at, you know, like you said, 40. He was really kind of, you know, relatively young from our standpoint. Um, He he lived a hard life. He definitely lived. I I like the idea of Jake Gyllenhaal playing him. Um, yeah, I mean, there was I a few Jake guys that came into my mind, but, yeah. you know, yeah. It has to be relatively the, around that, somebody that can play young and, and then also play up up into his 40s, you know, like, and Jake's in the, I think Jake has that kind of face that you shave him, he can look young, pretty young still. Um, yeah, I would say he, Ryan Gosling, look that age. Yeah. Because they're both like, how old is Jake Gyllenhaal? He's got to be. He's got to be in his mid thirties by now, at least. Um, yeah, he might I know be close that, to forty by now, but I know that Gosling is um, is thirty nine. Yeah, which is. I, I also thought about forward. Leonardo DiCaprio, but he'd already worked oh. with Nolan, and I was like, eh, we've already seen that pair. You know, like I'd maybe I'd like to see Jake work with him. We've also already seen like. He's done a couple of biopics. Leo has. Yeah. Um. He did the Aviator. Um. Even the even the Revenant. Uh, well, the yeah. Revenant he did J. Is, J. Edgar. He did. You know. Yeah. He did. I watched that the other day, Stephen. It's not, not still not good. Not great. Such a it's it's such an uninteresting movie about perhaps an interesting person. I mean, I know it's a, a it's a you know a discussion for a different time, but it's I don't know. I didn't feel myself like in like. It, it felt too dry to me when it came to the story. Yeah. Uh, his most interesting aspects for J. Edgar were, like, the most controversial ones that well, may or may not be true, that th- he was, you know, homosexual. Well, I, th- I think the wrong director made and... the movie, so. Oh, Clint, yeah, Clint yeah, Eastwood? Yeah. Shocker. Yeah, he... <laughs> also, he, the he, movie, he... Had a, movie had such a such a dour palette. Well, no I was going to say, his movies... movies. I'm, get, I'm getting There's to the no point where I'm them. getting kind of... I'm kind of getting lost on, on, on him because his... His movies are, are not – he's not pushing himself, I feel like, anymore. And, and aesthetically, his movies are kind of ugly now to me. Um, we should have pitched a, a Clint Eastwood movie that has, like, some energy to it. Well, I don't know. know. He, I mean, he's, like, 85 years old. So, I mean, I, I know he's got no energy left. I, I, like, I watched uh, – I, I mean, we're going way off on the channel, but I watched um, – what was it? The um, the 19 – not the 19 – the – Fifteen, seventeen to Paris. Yeah, that God. he did a few years ago. Why would you probably do that to his, yourself? Probably his worst movie. Um, it's so uninteresting. It's so like not uninteresting, but man, he he needed real actors in that role because yeah. you could tell these weren't actors, and they were just like they were trying their best. But man, they needed you know formal training. And you, and from what I heard, Clint Eastwood doesn't do that many takes. No, no he's, these, he's like two, the two, takes. two, three takes, and he's done. Yeah. It's like you really need to get the best, the best out of these non-actors. Yeah. Um, the story is interesting, but just the execution of it was just so by the numbers and just yeah. not not very interesting. Um, but I don't know how we got on to Clint Eastwood. Not, but well, yeah, yeah, we we go going. Well, down we got the, the J. Edgar biopics. Coincidentally, 
don't know if you want to transition to my next one. Well, I was going to say, why don't I go ahead and do my next one again? Okay, okay. And okay. Then, so, I, had, so, I had a cool transition there, but whatever. Well, oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry. I was just going to say so we can evenly do this after this because okay, you got yeah, less yeah. picks than I do. I do. That's but, true. um,. Okay, let, let me let me go ahead and uh, like I said, Jack London, Christopher Nolan. I'd love to see that. I like it. I um, like that idea. Cool, cool, cool. That's a, that actually could happen. Uh, I, I hope so. I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw it at him. I'm gonna throw it at him. I'm gonna, you know, I know, I know, I know Chris. So I mean, yeah, text him. Text him. I'll text him. Ask about him how his movie's doing. It's coming I'll, out next. Yeah, year. yeah. I tend it, and I can't wait to see it. Um. So okay, you'll like this. You'll like this. A film noir. Okay. Ooh. I thought about this. This came to my mind. I was like, it, the film noir genre. We don't see a lot of film noirs with that with primarily a black ha- cast, do we? True. We don't. So I was thinking there have been a couple. There have there been, have a, been couple, a couple. Mm-hmm. But it's very you don't really see it. So I'm thinking a black and white film noir like old looks, but you know obviously for today, directed by Ava DuVernay. Um, I like it. I like it. Starring, of course, like the greats, like Denzel. You know, get like a Jeffrey Wright in there. Get like a Sam Jackson, get like Naomi Harris, get you know like almost primary black cast, and do like a film noir of some kind, you know whether it's a romantic one, whether it's you know, you know, crime oriented. I mean, you can mix it all together however you want to. Uh, I just think that you know, I it's not something I've really seen a lot of, so I'd like to see that combination. I think Denzel being in a film noir would be like perfect. Um. He has very co- very cool idea. Um, I like the idea. I don't mean to piggyback up, but I think I'm um, trying to look it up. There was a movie that he was in that was a neo noir, because you know it, it came out in the '90s. Um, was it Devil in a Blue Dress? Devil was in that? a Blue Dress. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that's kind of a neo. I think he plays like a detective in that. Let me look it up. I mean, um, you could, you could, you could look at a few I, of his I, movies I as being. I mean, I, but I'm I mean, saying Denzel going full much does on, everything. like, like, yeah. you know, making it black and white, make you know, make try to make it more classic noir than, you know. Are you gonna have uh, the classic um, jazz uh, scores? Or yeah, something? I was gonna say jazz score with the <laughs> saxophone. Yeah, I want it to be old school, man. Yeah, yeah. pianos and all. That I mean, kind the, of stuff. What, if they can make the artist, you know, <laughs> a silent film in present day. You know, and it win an Academy Award. They make a goddamn film noir. Um, yeah, in a Devil in a Blue Dress, he plays a private detective. You don't well, get there you more go. He, he can film do noir it. than that. We know he can and do he, it. Yeah, he's and he, you know, he's trying to solve a murder and missing woman and, um, yeah, very interesting. Well, that's I that's, like the idea. Yeah. What I really wanted to. Um, come up with a movie for Ava DuVernay actually myself and yeah. I didn't you know didn't have the time because I love I love Ava DuVernay um, I think she's an amazing well I think she's got great style director. I think if anything oh yeah she has great vision because even though I didn't I didn't love the movie she just recently did what was it um um uh, uh, the Wrinkle in Time yes but I thought it was directed really well I thought it was very interestingly directed so I think with that style black and white cinematography uh, she could do something very interesting. Oh yeah, uh, I it. really. I mean, there's that TV miniseries when they see us on Netflix that she directed, and I think she was a producer on it as well. Um, I'm trying to like, yeah, she was a executive producer and she directed all four episodes of it, and, and it's amazing. Yeah, like it's really powerful and really stylishly well directed, and it's a really powerful story. 
Um, I I love I love Selma. I think Selma's amazing. I, I like it. Okay. I think it's <laughs> I think it's a really powerful movie. I think, I think the really movie it's the well subject matter is too. great. I think some of the mm. acting's great. I I yeah. honestly if I if I'm being honest when I did see it her directing was didn't work for mm. me in that movie. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Hot take. Hot take. It is a hot take for me because I um, I just think that she she just didn't it was i didn't think that the that the directing was engaging with what was going on i thought it was maybe a little bit too withdrawn like where she didn't really? move the camera enough where she well she, i think she definitely accentuated the the seriousness of the situation um i don't know some of those scenes of um just um you know on the on the bridge on the bridge and being in the police brutality all that stuff i thought was really Maximum. It was directed to maximum effect. Well, like I said, eliciting this, an emotion. It's what I you know felt what I mean? when I first saw it. I have I haven't seen it again since, so I don't. I could change my mind, but it. it okay. It, yeah. But it. Yeah. But it's. It, it, when I. I remember when I saw it. I. I was just thinking throughout the movie that I thought that this was being directed very. I thought it was boring direction. Oh. Um, through through not not through every scene, but like a lot of the most important scenes. Some of the scenes where he was making speeches and stuff were very. I think boring. I think she was, she was re- trying to rely on the actors to carry the scenes and not doing anything with the camera. Um, okay, I you know, understand. You know, but that you know, that can oh. work sometimes. Not moving the camera, but I think sometimes, and sometimes it ain't even that. Sometimes it's the set direction. You know, like if the, mm. if, the, if the background, the environment isn't interesting enough, I can get bored by looking at it. You know, I've so. seen her earlier film from 2012 called Middle of Nowhere. Yeah. I saw it on Netflix a couple of years ago. Um, it stars, um, oh man, who's, there's a, I think David Oyelowo in this as well. Um, let me look at the cover. You don't know yeah, already? Yeah, what? He said you don't already know? You brought it up. What's, well, I think is I go to the IMDb <laughs> and it's one of those where it's cast overview first build only. So it like doesn't have the actors in like, yeah, David Oyelowo's in it. Um, I think Anthony Mackie's also in it as well. Um, yeah, it's one of those where IMDb has things way out of order. Yeah. But yeah, I've seen that film as well. It's also another... I think it's a good film from her. It's an earlier film from her. Like I said, I like Selma a lot, Stephen. Less so. But um, I really want to see... I, I'm very curious to see what she does um, going forward. I know that New Gods movie's still in the works... And you know my my love for the the superhero DC properties and whatnot, and I really hope that that ends up coming out. There's no, I don't think there's any release date for it right now, and I'm pretty sure today. I mean, and to date ourselves a little bit, um, Warner Brothers came out with like their schedule for the next couple of years, and that wasn't on it hmm. when it came to like their big movies. Um, so I'm curious to see when that's going to happen because I know she was working on the screenplay a little while ago with comic book writer Tom King, who wrote uh, a little bit of New God stuff recently. Uh, but yeah, I would love to see Ava DuVernay do a film. Uh, do do a film. I would love to see her do the, a film noir. That would be that would be dope as hell. Cool. Um, so we're transitioning it to mine now? Yeah, this is not my retro pick yet. I guess we're saving that for the last one. I'm saving that for, for the last one, yeah. Okay. Um, this is a movie that's a biopic that I've... Um, that I've talked about a little bit before. I think when we did our, um, I think we did a whole like musical biopic episode for one of our um, one of our spotlights. Not spotlights. One of our 
episodes of um the of, of the podcast and basically I want I would like a biopic about the lead singer of Alice in Chains, Lane Staley, because I think he's just an underrated um musical artist that I think not a lot of people remember. I think he I think unfortunately when it comes to the grunge era of music, you know, that early nineties Seattle scene that you know, that kind of took over our rock and roll. Um, the big uh, the big ones kind of like just always get remembered. Pearl Jam, Nirvana, um, um Soundgarden. Like, Soundgarden, um and and, and Alice thinking, in Chains. <laughs> well also uh, Stone Temple Pilots, who coincidentally were like the LA from like LA, so the LA grunge scene. And basically what is interesting, most fascinating to me about that era, and I think I said it then, I think I'm going to repeat myself now, is that a lot of the people who were involved, the musicians, a lot of them are, are dead. I mean, bluntly put, they're deceased, um, and a lot of them kind of died uh, due to their own vices, whether it be drug overdose or suicide or whatnot. A lot of the stuff that they were singing about were very emotional stuff, and that was kind of like the the whole hook of the grunge era was that it was a very emotionally relevant music. Like people were like burying their souls up there, which was different in that whole like almost false you know, like met, like eighties metal glam rock that we got from the eighties that just you know everybody you know they made fun of in Spinal Tap. So this was more kind of real personal music and a lot of them kind of fell to their own personal vices and one of them was Lane Staley. He died in 2002. I think they didn't discover his body for several days because by that point he had pretty much just shut out everybody else like in his personal life and he was just completely alone when he died. It's really really sad and really really depressing and that's kind of how this movie would go for me. Um, I was thinking when it comes to uh, the biopic that I want to see this guy make a comeback, and I and music was kind of what uh, really made a lot of people love his career, and that is Cameron Crowe. Cool. I want to see Cameron Crowe come back to doing a movie related to music. He did most famously Almost Famous, which is one of my favorite films of all time. Love I know Stephen loves it. Um, you know, he has his personal roots in the music world working I believe as a rock journalist back in the 70s which is kind of why Almost Famous is a quasi biopic for him but this is a different era of music but I think it's something that he could probably connect with on a personal level because music tends to be a universal thing um, I really I, I struggled when it came to casting I didn't know what age to do it I didn't know what um, what person would look would look um Good doing, look good doing it. Would like <laughs> look the part, sound the part. Um, obviously, like when it comes to, you know, singing doesn't quite matter because um, uh, you can always, you know, put in somebody, you know, put in the real, the real voice in in ADR and stuff like that. Um, let me see. Lane Staley died at thirty four, so it would have to be somebody in their mid thirties. Initially, I was thinking, I was thinking like a Ryan Gosling. But I was th- when I had Ryan Gosling in my head, I was thinking of that film that he did that he did years ago, um, the one where he became where he was like that 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 school teacher who was um, on drugs. Coincidentally, oh, um, uh, not punk- was it not puncture? Is What's it, it half Nelson? Yeah, I think it's yeah. You're right, half Nelson. Yeah, and how there's, there's just 
like he looked when he looked strung out, he looked like he had the, you know, the sunken eyes and all that kind of stuff. And that's kind of how Lane Staley looked. And then I was thinking maybe Ryan Gosling's too old now because he is 39, yeah. going on 40. That may be too old. So I was thinking going a little off the wall, making this kind of a smaller indie film. And I was thinking of an actor that no one, I don't think, is going to remember. Um, just because it's not a big famous actor, didn't really do any movies, but he's been an actor that I've been a big fan of. Actually, Stephen, you may know who he is. Um, do you remember the movie Small Soldiers? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I was thinking of Gregory Smith who looks similar to Lane Staley when it comes to just facial looks and just his body is slim like Lane Staley. Um, he's not. He's more of a television actor. He was in that like cop procedural rookie blue for like five years or so, that Canadian cop movie. Yeah. Um, cop movie, not cop movie. It's a, it was a Canadian-produced um, television series about police officers. He was in that. He was in one of my favorite television series of all time, in Everwood, it was a show I was obsessed with back on the old, old WB network that's now been beyond defunct. I don't know if anybody beyond our generation remembers the WB network from the <laughs> 90s into like the mid 2000s, where just it was just an eclectic group of of shows. Like they had comedies and they had dramas. Uh, Dawson's Creek, one of your yeah. favorites, was yeah. on there um, up until it ended. Um, and I just remember, like, what was it? Like, they always, what was that frog that Warner Brothers had? Michigan J Frog or whatever it was? Yeah. He was, like, their mascot for a while. Very weird network. Um, but needless to say, that show ended up getting canceled after four seasons when um, UPN and Warner and WB Network, um, not WB, yeah, WB Network? Yeah, whatever it is. They, they merged to form the CW, which is now, you know, still in existence now. Um, and I've always really liked him as an actress. I've always kind of like followed his career all along. He was also in the movie The Patriot. He played one of the young sons of Mel Gibson in that film. Um, but I, I liked him, and I, and I was trying to pair him up with somebody who was um, younger, but uh, a female actress, younger, but somebody who was also, I think, a really good underrated actress. And I was just going through a bunch of names, and because uh, sadly... Um, Lane Staley did have a former fiance who died of an overdose in 1996, so she died at a very young age. So I was thinking of of Shailene Woodley actually, because I really <laughs> liked Shailene Woodley in some of the films that she's been in. I for when she first came on the scene, she was in like that ABC Family show about the teenage uh, the pregnant teenager. Um, I really didn't like it at all. I thought it's not a great show. Um, but then, but then she did the Descendants um, with George Clooney, and she was amazing in that film. No, she was really fantastic. yeah. She's she's pretty good in Spectacular now too. Yeah, she was really good in that as well. Um, then she did uh, the Divergent series, mm. uh, which kind of just petered out into nothing. Uh, she was in the Big Little Lies that sh- series that's on HBO. She was really fantastic in that as well recently so i was thinking shailene woodley would have been nice okay. for that when it, and when it came to directing i told you a cameron crow to kind yeah. of come back because cameron crow well his yeah career has gone into nothingness like well, that you know i mean his connection to that that scene is is you know obvious obvious so that would be a good pairing definitely yeah i was looking up his more recent work and he did we bought a zoo in like 2011 then he did aloha in 2015 which was 
people hated oh. that movie. People, yeah, they they can't give that movie. They couldn't give that movie away at the stores. That yeah. Blu-ray. I remember it was like five dollars at one point, and nobody bought it. Yeah. Um. And and then he he had that show Roadies on Showtime. Yeah. In 2016, got canceled after one season, and he directed like four episodes of that. Yeah. So it's like he hasn't really he's done anything yeah, since 2016. Yeah, I don't know what he's doing. He's got to get. I want to. I want to see him get back in the game because I. I think about Almost Famous a lot. Yeah. Like I go back to that movie on a regular. I mean, basis. I think about Jerry Maguire. I uh, think about. Who doesn't? You know, I mean, not. Who doesn't think of Jerry Maguire? I know. Right? Tom Cruise is great in that movie. Yeah. Um, Renee Zellweger also fantastic in that movie. Um, I also think of coincidentally, I was talking about John Cusack earlier. I really like the movie Say Anything, yeah. which was one of Cameron Crowe's really early films. May have been his first film. Uh, um, singles, which oh, is very yeah, much a singles, 90s, the, the 90s throwback. That, you want to yeah. talk about, oh my goodness. Steve, I was going to say, that's opened, why it's such a perfect it connection. <laughs> I thought oh that's God, where I we were going know, with this. You know, and you know who performs in that in that movie at like a, like a, like a bar or something is Alice in Chains. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's set in Seattle during the grunge era. Yeah, and Chris Cornell's in it. And Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's... You just... Yeah, yeah I, was, came, I thought that's why you picked him. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think of that until you just said it. Yeah. Because Singles is a movie that kind of gets overlooked. Like, no one talks about it ever. I think and he also... I didn't know it existed until a couple of years ago. Yeah, I think he also directed a Pearl Jam uh, documentary. Yes. Yeah. Yes, he did. I, yes, he did. He directed, like, two of them? Pearl Jam twenty like, was the last one. I I have that. Yeah, he did. Well, he did a Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, uh, video short. That was like his first ever thing. Then he did Say Anything. Then he he did Alice in Chains Wood video short. He did their music video. Yeah. For I think their song Wood back in, uh, nineteen eighty nine. Uh, so yeah, there's the connection right there. Yeah, yeah so, he did yeah, Pearl Jam yeah, twenty perfect. back yeah. in twenty eleven. Yeah. Oh yeah, perfect. Oh man, see this is why <laughs> Steve, this is why Stevens here because he's. He, <laughs> He's, he's bringing up all this music stuff. People don't know us, but Steven knows a lot about music. I know a little bit, a little bit. I like the 90s. The 90s is, is my is my time. All right. Well, that sounds right. good. I'm in on that one. Um, well, Steven? I, and before before I get on to my next one, I forgot to say my Christopher Nolan movie. Of course, Hans Zimmer's doing the music. Oh, come on. Oh, and uh, also my Avery DuVernay movie, I was going to say Howard Shore. Okay. Oh, I like that's interesting. Cool. I thought it would be like maybe like Alexander Desplat. Maybe, maybe. Okay. I'll, I'll take mm-hmm. anybody, you know. But mm-hmm. I, Howard Shore came to my mind for some I'm reason. I'm thinking, who's going to do the music for the Lane Staley movie? And then I'm like, Allison um, Chains. Allison <laughs> Chains. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. If, like the, those biopics are interesting because it's like, do you go? Is there a musical score, or do you just use the music? That the, no, from the they, band. They, they could be or, a score yeah. in there somewhere, probably. Because yeah. in Bo- like in, I mean, in Bohemian Rhapsody, they pretty much just use Queen's music throughout the whole thing. I mean, yeah, it yeah. usually takes up the whole movie. It depends yeah, on but, what your movie's about. Is it about w- showing off all their hits, or is it actually yeah. about the character? You know? It's more of a, like I I wanted it to be like the last like, days that they did with Kurt yeah, Cobain. Maybe, I mean, that's, yeah, but way less art housey. Yeah. Um, I was think in my head, I was thinking of Rocket Man the whole time. Yeah. Because Rocket Man is a film that shows like the whole life of, um, uh, what's Elton his John. name, Elton John, and then and but it also doesn't shy away from the fact that he had a lot of serious personal issues when it came to alcohol and drugs and stuff like that. Yeah, and I really liked how raw that was. I almost went with that director, that whole team, you yeah. know, just have that whole team make the Lane Staley pick. But I think 
but I think they really suited themselves you need to get, towards you need to someone get a little, like Elton John. Yeah. You know, Elton John had a lot more, was bright Flaring, and vivacious yeah. and colorful. You know, Alice in Change was grunge, but they were more like metal grunge fusion, yeah. which is like of a darker, harsher sound. Man, Alice in Chains, their music just like hits you. Yeah. Like hit you real hard. Yeah. I've told Steven this a lot. It's, their music's very cathartic for me. Yeah. You know, it's very, like, really gets inside of you. Yep. All right. Well, this one is, this one's going to be an interesting one. Because this is something people debate all the time because he keeps saying he's only making one more movie. And that's Quentin Tarantino. This is my idea for a Quentin Tarantino movie I'd like to see. And he's okay. kind of, and he hasn't delved in this technically yet. And he's, but he's talked about delving in this genre. I do want to see him do a sci-fi movie, and he's, and he's definitely talked about doing Star Trek and stuff like that. But we don't know if he'll ever get to do that. But if I, you know, wanted to see him do his own sci-fi original story, um, you know, you know, with a band of uh, characters on a ship doing something. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Uh, I would like, of course, and I've talked about this. I've always wanted Nicolas Cage to be in a Tarantino nice. movie. So, nice. yes. So think about this: you got a Tarantino written movie directed, and it, it, it's you know with a band of, of 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 weird individuals on a ship doing something, and it's got Tarantino. I even thought Eddie Murphy should be in this. I was like, Eddie Murphy doing Tarantino dialogue that might be kind of interesting. Uh, and he's in a comeback period now, so, you know, let's bring him in there. Tarantino likes to bring back people. Um, Ethan Hawke, Willem Dafoe, Charlize Theron, and Francis McDormand. All in wow. on a ship. It's nice. a good cast. Yeah. With the score by Trent Reznor. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. And just, 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 just think about it. Just, I mean, just think Nicolas Cage saying Tarantino dialogue. I mean, it, it's going to be magnificent. I mean... Oh, man. They go really to the space... See, I really want to say it. They go to the space pizza hut. And they, you, know, <laughs> get, you know, is that is that a pizza with cheese? Royale cheese? You know, like, what did, what do, you, what do they call... What do they call... You know, you know what they call space pizza? You know? <laughs> Hyperspace with cheese. L pizza of space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. You know, whatever, whatever, um, you know. But you know, it's it's a, it's been my dream. I want to see Nicolas Cage in a Tarantino movie. I, it's that's the main thing with this is I want that to happen. What's interesting is I Quentin Tarantino is such a an eclectic person that he would put Nicolas Cage in his. I don't know why it hasn't happened yet. He's probably a fan of him. He's most definitely a fan of him. Um. And 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 Nicholas Cage right now he's taking every role. He's not saying no to any role. I mean, he would never I, say I, I no to a Tarantino movie. I, I'm pretty sure. Like I just saw the other day that he's literally gonna be playing himself in a movie. I don't yes. even know. It's amazing. Um, yeah, this guy he's he never stops. I mean, it never stops. He's got to pay off his got, got to pay off his debts. I guess. I, yeah. I, mean, I don't I don't care what it is. I just want to see yeah, him do what he's doing. I mean, I, what's interesting is like I'm I'm trying to like keep up. I can't even keep up with him. Like I've got a whole no. There's no way just, you can watch all his movies. Yeah, it's impossible. He's like damn like, Netflix. He, he's he, Netflix he, by himself. He, he drop he drops one like every couple of like every couple of months. It would show up on Netflix randomly. It's like I don't even know he was they doing should, this. He movie. should just he start just, his yeah. own streaming service, Cage Flicks. You know. 
Oh, I watched it. Yeah. I remember the couple of years ago I sent you that article where, like, at the Alamo Draft House, they had yeah, yeah, Nicolas yeah. Cage movie marathon, and he so and he showed up to surprise the audience, yeah. and they went bananas. Oh, there's gonna be a Nicolas Cage con in the future, oh, right? a convention, or just God, all Nicolas Cage stuff. Can't oh wait. my goodness! You'll see you'll They're... see thousands of people with Nicolas Cage masks on. Oh, thousands of gonna, Nicolas oh, Cage. it's gonna be Nicolas Cage character cosplay. Cult. Like they're gonna even do like they're gonna even dress up as as what he looked like as Superman, yes. uh, and it's a movie that never happened. Yes, you know what I mean. Um, crazy, crazy, crazy. I, I'm excited. The Cult of Cage. The Cult of Cage. Yes, I guess that's what they're gonna call it. Um, Whew. damn, I'd watch. I'd watch I'm excited that right now. Me too. I just want to watch some Nicolas Cage stuff. Yeah. Now I'm now I'm gonna go to bed with Nicolas Cage movie on. <laughs> But now um, we are down to our final picks, our retro picks, our f- complete fantasy picks. Oh, yeah. It's Putting people my... together that could never exist together. <laughs> I have an yeah, interesting they... one, I think, but you go first, man. I know. I, I, yeah, I let think me I... go first because I've been thinking of this one for years, too. I don't know. i got a lot of time on my hand. I just think about movies 24-7. Basically, yes. Um, um, but for years ago, when I, when I saw Citizen Kane for like the first or second time, I thought to myself... What would a Batman movie be, uh, directed and starring Orson Welles? Oh, man, from the forties. Oh my God! Just because. So wait, d- wait, wait a second. Orson yeah. Welles is Batman. He's Bruce Wayne. Oh my God! Slash Batman. Uh, because, I thought he was gonna. I, I thought he was gonna be Alfred, but never mind. And I because I started thinking of the correlations between Charles Foster Kane and Bruce Wayne. Yeah. And there's a lot more connections there than I actually thought there would be. Yeah, they're uh, they're both kind of they're, they're both kind of orphans. Uh, you know, Charles Foster Kane. Um, you know, his parents basically sold him off yes. to uh, to an elderly person to be like his ward or heir. And he was so he's he was you know abandoned by his parents. He was still raised by somebody, but raised by someone not his biological family. His parents, um, Bruce Wayne. His parents, of course, tragically died, and he was raised by alfred pretty much so you know there's that connection there they're both like huge wealthy you know you know have so much money and property and all that kind of stuff and they and they're both also got a lot of personal like demons and problems they both have like egotistical issues they both push everybody away who wants to like help them you know whether it be joseph cotton's character and charles foster kane or whether it be uh, Batman's always pushing away like people in his uh, his you know quote unquote Bat family or whatnot, whether it's you know Dick Grayson or whomever. Um, I always thought there was a lot of you know connection there, and they, they they both have like super large, expensive homes that are just like out in the outskirts of the cities, and just are just far away, and they're like they're mysterious, and they have like probably like hidden chambers and compartments. You know, Charles Foster Kane has Xanadu. Uh, <laughs> you know, Bruce Wayne has you know uh, a Wayne Manor. So I was like, all these connections, right? And then and you know, and they're both kind of somewhat playboys. I mean, Bruce Wayne's definitely a playboy. You know, he always has a different woman. But um, Charles Foster Kane, of course, got married, but then cheated on his wife with that. You know, you know, you know that singer. Or whatever yeah. you sing her in quotes because you know what part of the movie is that she's not a great singer, but he's just trying to promote her. Um, and I don't know, there's it, it was just fascinating to me. So I always wanted to see what Orson Welles would be like as Bruce Wayne slash Batman in and direct the movie. And <laughs> the cast I have here is um, for you know lead actor would be Orson. A uh, lead actress, I I I went with I went with Ava Gardner as Selena Kyle slash Catwoman. 
Um, I could have went. I could could have went with Marlena Dietrich, just because Marlena Dietrich and Orson had, um, you know, they knew each other. They were friends. Marlena Dietrich was in Touch of Evil. A uh, great story about Touch of Evil is that, you know, the you know the, the studio didn't even know that she was in the movie until they saw the dailies. Like yeah. he just never told them. <laughs> so I was like, I always love that story. Um, but I but Ava Gardner just, you know, she 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 looks like she has that smokiness about Selena Kyle and you know in that, that I think that relationship is extremely important between Selena Kyle and Bruce Wayne and for um supporting actor um Conrad Veidt as the Joker if you ever want to know where the look of the Joker came from it came from Conrad Veidt in in the movie he did I believe is the man who laughs yes. you just look up that still it is beyond frightening um and he he was also in Casablanca. He passed away like 1943. But you know, in this fantasy world, I want him to live yeah, a little yeah. bit longer so he can he can do this movie. Um, and he's just absolutely frightening as the man who laughs. And that would be kind of a cool like if you don't call him the Joker, call him you know the man who laughs. Um, I want him in there, and then I also want um, um, what am I looking at here? Oh, Robert Mitchum as Harvey Dent. What okay. do you think, Steven? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. Harvey Dent slash Two Face, because I wanted to get Robert Mitchum in there somehow. I thought you were going to pick somebody like, uh, like a um, what's his name, uh, um, uh, like a Grant, uh, Cary Grant or something. Thing is, Cary Grant would would be closer to Bruce Wayne, so just because he's got the the playboyish looks and just the I charm, guess, yeah. I guess okay. Yes. Uh, uh, um, <laughs> so I don't know. Har- uh, I'm trying to think of a role for. I don't know. For who? You know what? Uh, Cary Grant could be uh, Clark Kent. That would be. Yeah, cool. he could be Superman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he could be Superman. Why not? Um, what about uh, Gordon? Uh, Gordon, I went with Claude Rains. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I, I can Claude see that. Rains, yeah, just yeah. A, an older guy. Um, he, he played an authority figure in um, Casablanca, so yeah. he. He could definitely pull that off. Get a uh, uh, Harvey Bullock could be played by James Cagney. Oh, that would be pretty good. That would be pretty good. <laughs> I like that. Or you know, uh, you know, uh, oh, the Riddler played by James Cagney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he, hey, yeah, the Riddler's yeah, kind yeah. of zany. <laughs> Riddler's kind of zany, but yeah. also like like saying riddles and stuff. But I came up with um, oh, Rita Hayworth has to be in it. And but I, oh, I, yeah. I want Rita, I want Rita Hayworth as Poison Ivy. Yeah, I, I was thinking redhead. The same thing. The good with the with the green the green outfit I think would just look absolutely fantastic, and I honestly when it came to um, behind the scenes when it came to DP I I thought Greg uh, Greg Toland who was the DP for um, Citizen Kane put him in put him uh, I think it's Greg Toland let me look up because um, the aesthetics of yeah he's a cinematographer for Citizen Kane Greg Toland. Um, I really want that that aesthetic from Citizen Kane. Those weird shots, those weird angles, all of that kind of you know black and white um, gorgeousness. I would want this movie to be black and white. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it would take away kind of you know the color of the suits and whatnot. But I mean, you yeah, gotta yeah. if you're gonna have all of these, you gotta set it in that you know in that time because I mean the Batman character came around, came into existence around that time. Yeah. So it kind of would be apropos. 
Um, when it came to composers, Bernard Herrmann. He, he did uh, the composer. Yeah, of course. He, he composed um, Citizen Kane, so I want him to compose this movie as well. I'm very curious what his Batman theme would sound like. <laughs> uh, be a cross between Psycho and whatever he did in Citizen Kane. Yeah. But it would be very, very interesting. So I've always kind of thought of that. I mean, for years, I've thought of like, you know, what would classic era actors and actresses look like in modern superhero roles. So this was kind of just me just brainstorming. I mean, I could have gone a bunch of different routes. Uh, I mean, I could have gone with like actors from different eras. Like I didn't have well, to that's... specifically stick yeah, to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, as you can tell, I'm pretty much sticking to like the 40s. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm just sticking to that time. Um, I could have, you know, like mixed and matched. You know what I mean? I could have. See, that's kind you know, of the I direction Sydney... I went. Yeah. Yeah, I could, I could have had like Sidney Poitier in there as uh, as somebody. I could have had, you know, somebody from a modern era in there or whatnot. Yeah. Um, but the idea was to kind of just stick to that time. That's why I just thought off the top of my head. So okay. yeah, that would be cool. my Orson Welles Batman. And I'm not even sure what the plot would be. I'm not even sure. Who cares? I, I initially I was thinking <laughs> perhaps I was thinking like a Dark Knight Returns, uh, maybe an old like you know get get Orson to put on that old Citizen Kane makeup again and like be an old <laughs> like grouchy Bruce yeah. Wayne. But then I'm like, you know what? I know I want him young and handsome and yeah. Roguish, you know what I mean, like that young Charles Foster King when he was just, when he was just confident, just you know, telling people like, you know what, I'm, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get all those people from that other paper, yeah. and you'll see, you know what I mean. Um, so yeah, Stephen, what's your retro pick? All right, well, this one came to this. This actually is something that I thought about a, a while back ago, and it, this just gave me a chance to to bring it up. Um. So. Jackie Chan. Uh, he's always talked about how one of his biggest influences is Buster Keaton. So what if they teamed up in a movie? Okay, I so, like it. So, so an action comedy with Buster Keaton, Jackie Chan, directed by Gareth Evans from the oh, from the man. Raid movies. Okay. And this would be shot more like modern dayish. Um, like it would like basically we're bringing Buster Keaton to modern day. We got our time machines out. Got our time yeah. machines. We're bringing Buster Keaton to modern day, and he's teaming with Jackie Chan, and they're partners. And you know, it's an action comedy. And the score, you're gonna love this, done by Randy Newman. Because <laughs> I, well, I wanted man. to have, I wanted to have some whimsy to it. I wanted it to be like a friendship movie, but also them kicking ass. You know, um, dude, you you basically pitching me like. Rush Hour with Jackie Chan and uh, Buster Keaton. I'm yeah, kinda yeah like, I mean, I'm that's kind of what I was thinking. I was like, let me get Chris Tucker out of there with his high-pitched voice and get Buster Keaton in there. Dude. He won't say anything because he's just in silent throw, movies. Just throw him in. Just throw Chris Tucker in. But that'll be, the thi- that'll be the thing is, is, okay, Chris Tucker can play the police chief. All right, because so, he can yell. He can yell in that, and it'll make sense. Um, but Buster Keaton, what will be funny is, is because he comes from silent movies – even when we bring him into modern day, he still doesn't talk because he's from that time period. Nice. So he's like completely silent. Jackie Chan will try to talk to him and he just can't say anything because he's he's from silent era. It'll be like Jay and Silent Bob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Kevin Smith, Jay and Silent Bob. Exactly. It's like Jay does all the talking and Bob doesn't yeah. do any talking. Yes. Unless, but you got to have that one scene where like Buster Keaton has this really meaningful uh, monologue at a very important time. Yes. Yes, I like it. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I just thought that that would be an interesting meeting your hero type of movie, you know. Without, of course, them doing. I mean, but it would be interesting to see them two guys in a movie together, you know. Just like it would be interesting to see 
Stallone and Schwarzenegger at their prime in a movie together. We never saw that, you know, um, you know, because they were rivals and then in their older age now have teamed up. But now they're buddies. Now yeah. they're buddies. Ooh, that's great. Ooh. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's something I thought would be really fun. Um, them doing a bunch of crazy stunts. Um, <clears throat> I even thought about them maybe being uh, enemies. Maybe they're not together. Maybe they're one's a bad guy, one's a good guy. Um, and they had to face off against each other. Um, or maybe they both, maybe they think they're against each other, but they're not. And they have, but they're like going after the same thing. Maybe they're both thieves and they're both trying to get an object and they're both having to go through these obstacles to get it. So, yeah. Sounds cool. I'm down for it. Yeah. Um, I'm I don't know who would di- did I say who would direct? Uh, oh yeah. Gareth Evans. Uh, Gareth, Ed- yeah. Gareth Evans. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, so you know, the action scenes are going to be amazing. Here. Yeah. Oh yeah, that stunt team is gonna be incredible. I mean, yeah, we'll get the guys from the raid to be in it too. Yeah. Oh we'll yeah, the, yeah they gotta be in there somewhere. They're the actual you, bad guys in the movie. If you yeah. can stick them in Star Wars for and, and have them abs- do absolutely nothing, you can stick them in here to do something. Exactly, exactly. But that's it for our, our Christmas wish list. I, I think all these are gonna come true. I, I believe I so. that hard. And I, if they don't, we'll we'll make them come true. I know San, Santa heard us. Thank you, please Santa, <laughs> grant our wishes. <laughs> but that's going to be it for this episode of the Cinema Discovery Project. Um, where can you be found, Andrew? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Cabzilla06, as well as my YouTube channel, Cabzilla Productions. And you can find me on Facebook, Stephen Billings. You can find me with buying all my Blu-rays and stuff uh, on Instagram, Cinema Discovery Project. You can find the audio for this podcast on Podbean and Apple Podcasts. And thank you again once for listening and... Hey, keep on watching the movies. I know I will. <laughs>